This is a podcast about time. The time it takes to become an artisan. Heritage. Saving to buy something you'll keep forever. Sustainability. Memories attached to clothing that you've loved and lived in. And the longevity of friendship. To us, the true definition of luxury. I'm Lynn Coleman. Join me and my friend and colleague, Jill Brown, as we chat about the components about what makes Scottish cashmere so special, why it's loved by people all around the globe, and why every design house has a Scottish mill in their little black book. The tactile love affair. You never forget your first time. It was a crisp winter's morning in the capital, the cerulean sky doing very little to trap sub-zero temperatures. Breathing looked like some smoky scene from a 1930s silent film. At the gateway to the grass market stood an unassuming store with knickknacks spilling out onto the street, the exact kind of place I feel at home shopping. Manoeuvring a multitude of items at the front door would have put off any rummaging rookie. Luckily, I'm made of sturdier stuff and on this frosty morning, I was rewarded for my fashion foraging. Between dusty dresses and sooty books, a sunbeam led me to a jumper that on the surface looked rather retiring. Black crew neck, t-shirt in shape, but not very interesting. That was until I held it, and I knew instantly it was different. The feeling was like nothing I'd experienced before. I was 19 years old, and in that moment, a cashmere convert. When teenage years gave way to my 20s, this tactile textile became omnipresent. As a fashion writer and stylist, my quest to document all things mode meant that three seasons out of four, cashmere would subconsciously find its way into my work. Scottish heritage has been something I was resistant to, mainly due to my arrogance of youth and the lack of a luxury budget. This transient relationship with trends was breeding an appreciation for artisan items without me even realising. Editorial guidelines dictated the demographic that I spoke to across print, radio and TV. It would range from high street giants, fast fashion and young designers, all the way up to investment buying, established fashion houses and iconic brands. That was when Chanel entered my orbit and everything changed. It was December 2012 and Karl Lagerfeld was about to turn Linlithgow Palace into his own personal playground and I was granted a golden ticket to the best show in town. So having known you for quite a long time and knowing exactly what was happening in your life in 2012, yeah. how the hell did you end up there? That was the hottest ticket in town. Well, Jill, this is not a counselling session and I don't think that we should uh, discuss <laughs> what was actually happening then. However, yes, I was a very, very, very poor fashion writer and I got this ticket to go and see the show um, because, because the stars aligned and the show was in Linlithgow and it was the, the it, it, they were calling it the Edinburgh show. I'm really sorry, I'm Scottish and when I do say some French stuff, you guys are going to be horrified. Um, but this was the Métier d'Arche show for that year. And basically that show is um, celebrating every artisan that Chanel have on their books. So the people that, you know, sew the sequins into the tool and the people that knit and weave and all of that 
gets combined and created into a big giant celebration for a night and then a, a collection is, is made from it. So they, they knew that they were going to do that here. Um, I was the fashion writer at the Evening News at the time and my colleague who was the lifestyle editor at Scotland and Sunday, we were the, you know, within the same paper house, um, had a ticket but I didn't and I called the press girls at Chanel and I said, listen, what are the chances? And they said, obviously, this is a really, you know, this is really chock-a-block. They, they fly people all around the world. So Vogue China were flying in. They had the teams um, from Brazil, all the, the you know, all the, the fashion magazines from Brazil. And then they actually threw, um, fly in their top um, buyers. So, you know, the top people that come and um, spend money with them. So it was, it was bung fu, you know, it was full. Um, but they got that I, that the paper was on the patch and that I needed to write about it. So I ended up wangling a ticket. And what I didn't get was that you get chauffeur driven from the minute, I know, right? You get chauffeur driven, picked up from, we, we were picked up from a, a hotel in the city centre. And I lived in the city centre, I lived in, in Gorgie at the time, in a tiny one bedroom flat. But you get picked up in the car and then they drove us out to Linlithgow Palace where it was pitch black because it was December and it was freezing. Um, and the Hang had... on, hang on. What do you even wear to something like that? What oh. did you wear? I mean, I can't even imagine. I hate... I struggle going to any media thing. And one of my old bosses always jokes that I've got my, my power jacket that only comes out for my scary meetings. So what the hell do you wear when Chanel are in town? Well, exactly. That was exactly it. So the, the, it, the what do you call it? The invitation said, um, be fashionable, but be warm. So that was an indication that we were going to be outside for you know a little bit of time. But I had no idea what to wear. And so I called uh, my my one friend who has everything. So she owns Jane Davidson. Her name's Sarah Murray. And I called her and I was like, I've been invited to the Meteor Darts Ball and I have nothing to wear. Like, what do you wear to Chanel? And she said, oh, a few years ago I was invited. She's like, I've got some vintage Chanel jackets. Do you want one? So I was like, yes. So I borrowed a jacket. And... That's the question that doesn't need an answer. <laughs> yeah. Would you like this priceless, beautiful thing that I have? Yes, please. Exactly. So I borrowed a, a black classic Chanel jacket and teamed it with a gorgeous studded black dress from Carolyn Baxter, who's a Edinburgh designer. And then I wore big, big chunky boots before that was a thing, because we also were told to be like properly safe. So we knew we were going to be in the castle and we knew we were going to be outside. So it was not a stiletto moment, although some people did wear stilettos but I, I opted for a, a kind of biker boot to go with the Chanel the vintage Chanel and so it was great but when you walked out of the car in the pitch black the palace was all lit up um with custom fire torches so they had they, they had just created Carl's vision from right right the way down to burning the wood that would have been burnt during Jacobean times so the smell in the air when you opened the car door was this incense oaky, evocative, deep, deep smoke. You know, it, it and actually the really lovely thing about this, we got give, given um, wool uh, blankets to go away with as a wee present. But the next again day, you could smell the fire off of everything. 
and not in a horrid barbecue way. It was it was really really lovely. It was so lovely. So that was the first that was the first moment walking in, seeing these fire lanterns, and then walking through to the palace where. If anybody has ever been to Lilithgow Palace before, um, there's a fountain in the middle of the courtyard that is said Bonnie Prince Charlie drank wine out of. Uh, who knows if he actually did? It's a good, it's a good yarn to tell. But they built, the custom built a runway around it, a, a wooden runway around it, and we were all seated. And it was just, I'd, I had been to fashion shows before. I had done loads of fashion weeks, and the, the truth around that is they're really, really hard work. You are exhausted, and you're you know you're you're writing your copy at the end of that. It's a it's a proper job. Um, Fashion Week has become something very very different to you know to ten years ago when I was when I was jobbing it, um, and so this felt like a completely different ball game. And then this is very cool. At the back of the Lithgow Palace, you know where the loch is, you, you went down custom built stairs, like custom built oak stairs down to three giant um, glass houses that were erected for us to have dinner in after the show. It's unbelievable. And then at the end of that, I was chauffeur driven back to my one bedroom flat in Gorgie that had mice. <laughs> but that level of detail and that attention that goes into something like that just shows the standard of expectation in anything that Chanel or any of these big houses do and therefore they are seeking out the best in all of their materials and their textiles and then you go oh ours must be really good yeah it's it's the definition of luxury and it's a word since I have been writing about fashion that I've just shoved around you know shoved into copy blotted down and it was only after I wrote the Cashmere book, that I started to understand that luxury meant much more than how much something cost. It means how much time has gone into something. Has the person who is making it, how many years of service have they been doing that? You know, for the majority of weavers and knitters in um, Scotland, some of them have 25 years worth of experience that's been passed down from over 200 years worth of knowledge of us doing this as an industry. And that's what Chanel were looking at that night. That's what Chanel were celebrating. And actually, um, they had been using Barry, who who are the the mill that they use. And they use other mills in Scotland too. But they had been using Barry and they bought it over because they were going to go into administration. And Chanel were like, no way, absolutely not. Those skills will not be lost. And they stepped in and and... They're still open because of that reason. And Chanel obviously put all all their product, all their wool product through through that mill. And to stand and be in that world amongst those people. So what were the so there's obviously people like you mm. who are writers and fashion experts and all those things, but are there customers there, the people who buy their stuff? And yeah. what is it like to get a, a look into that world? Because I mean, here we are talking about luxury, but we can talk about this later, but luxury changes on your price point and whatever. But I imagine if they had customers there, it was their their favourite customers. Well, my article that night that I filed, um, a little squiffy from my double bed. Um, everybody else was way more professional than me, but I had a, I worked for an evening paper, so I wasn't up against the deadline the same way that everybody else was. So right after the show, all the fashion writers ran off into a different room and 
um, I then walked into the tented glass area that I told you about where we were going to be having dinner and just was in awe of all of it and really taking it all in and wasn't quite sure what my story was going to be because yes I was the fashion writer but my demographic for the Edinburgh Evening News was not to be talking about the kilts and the sweaters and it was it was a colour piece on what the night was about so I had to sit there and just soak it up like a sponge. Tough job. A tough job right uh, but the best part of it is, you know, at any, any party that you go to, you always say that the best parties end up in what the kitchen and, and the toilet. So I was in the queue to the loo and they had built these gorgeous toilets. But you're still, you know, we're still ladies, so we have to queue because we take forever, don't we? And the toilets were so lovely that you did want to stay in and, and, and have a, you know, a, a peek. There was Chanel perfume and there was, was Chanel hand lotion. Oh. It was just, it was just delicious. And I was standing next to this woman who, you know, could have been anywhere between 70 and 90. You know, you're not quite sure, ridiculously elegant. I couldn't quite place where she was from. She, you know, she had that British accent that she could have been from Scotland or she could have been from London. You don't quite know. Um, and so I said to her, oh, how did, how did you come to, to, to being here? She said, oh, darling, Carl's been trying to get me here for years and I could never be bothered going to them. And so I was like, well, say what? Carl's been trying to bug you to come to a show that the whole of Scotland was clambering to get into. Um, and so I laughed and I said, really? And she said, yeah, you know, he's been trying to get me to, to come to one of these for years. But, uh, you know, I only came because I have, I, I, I have Scottish heritage. And so I was like, oh, so you wanted to come and see the palace? She was like, oh, no, absolutely. And it's, oh, of course, the show was beautiful. Turns out I was talking to one of 25 women that, you know, Chanel, well, there's more than 25 women now, um, but one of 25 women at the time that were properly buying the couture couture, you know, the she would go in and be sketched for and, and yes. Yeah, so that face. still happens? That, of course that still happens. And, and that's the whole point in um, houses. They, they, they offer that service to anybody. You know, you can go in, you, you can obviously buy ready to wear, you can obviously buy um, off the rack, you can, you can buy whatever it is you want, but also the, there are women that go in and, and ask for something specific and they will do that for you, particularly if you have that relationship with them. I was going to say, particularly have lots of money. Yeah, well, there's that, but I, I actually don't know how much it would cost. I don't, because I'd be too terrified to even begin the conversation, right? But that's luxury, isn't it? That is being able to say, hey, could you possibly run me up a little black suit, please? And however that process is taken, and it would be a gorgeous process. It would be, you know, you would go to Paris, you would be fitted, you would pick your materials and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I was looking at her like, oh, you're like Audrey Hepburn and Givenchy, you know, like this collaboration. And so she, she was, I, I have no idea what her name was. And... Um, but after I left that night, when I was sitting there thinking about what the story of the night would be, it was that. It was, you know, my Cinderella moment of, oh my goodness, at midnight I'm going to turn back into a pumpkin and end up in my one-bedroom flat in Gorgie, whereas this woman rejected the other offers that were on the plate. That, that's the difference, isn't it, is that you 
used all your power of persuasion <laughs> and all your hard work to get a ticket for that one night where she deigned to go <laughs> because she happened to have some Scottish ancestry, having been invited a multitude of times. And that's the the haves and the have-nots. Yeah, but she was so lovely. And the whole, the whole thing was really amazing because sometimes you think that it's a scary situation. Sometimes people think that fashion is scary. And I certainly did when I started off. And I had a real difference you know I, I used to think about how I wrote about fashion in comparison to how someone at Vogue would have written about fashion and then it turns out that when you're all eating dinner because Chanel have thrown a party that you're all the same until you meet the people that are buying it you know so everybody that was there for work they were all amazing and lovely and um you're just there for the job it's an amazing job it's great you know looking across the table and there's Cara Delevingne and then um, Jake Bug came out and serenaded us uh, midway through the night and it was it, you know it was really proper bonker stuff but that hadn't been that that evening wasn't the first time that I'd been around famous people at fashion shows you know I'd I'd been to a couple of Pringle shows um, and I remember it was one of the first ones sitting across from um, Courtney Love and Janet Jackson and it just being like a Tuesday, be like, that's Courtney Love and Janet Jackson. And I have to stay really cool. Like, really cool. I'm not going to stare at them. I'm totally staring at them. I'm not going to stare at them. I'm totally staring at them. So by the time I got round to Chanel, I thought I'd had those edges buffed off. And until you realise you don't ever have those kinds of edges buffed off, because that is something that you should always appreciate, because it was amazing. Yeah, it is. It's the, the sort of joy of what we've done with our lives is you think you get to a point where you can totally play it cool at all given moments. But then there's something that will completely take the wind out your sails. You're like, yeah, no. And I'm never getting invited to one of those again. Let's yeah. not get that <laughs> That was my, my Willy Wonka golden ticket. It's never happening for me again. So I was very aware of being able to, to suck it in. And it's such a special thing for me now because... Carol was celebrating everything that I hold dear now, you know, as as someone who works with Tartan Mills and who has had her own cashmere line and who's written about Scottish textiles for as long as I have. For that to be my entry point, like, that's pretty special. Yeah, it is really special and really special for all of us who have hung on to your coattails while she started that journey. <laughs> Everybody was like, can you just take us there a plus one? No, there's not a plus one. I'm lucky that I am even going. In the next episode, I'm going to be taking everybody through something that I call the Holy Trinity. Now that is the three components that collide to make Scottish cashmere the best in the world. And these are the goat, the water, and the artisan. And on top of that, Jill and I will be giving you some cheeky little anecdotes, or antidotes rather. Or anecdotes. Uh, that, that would be even better, third time lucky, <laughs> total baby brain, um, which is my, my personal favorite. It's something that I do to all my friends and family, which is called the cost per wear. It's just a justification for buying expensive things, but you're going to love it. It'll change your life. Yeah, and Jill has wholeheartedly bought into it. Mm -hmm.